Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast, a convenient place where you can stay up to date on what's popular in the swine industry. By listening to Popular Pig, you will receive invaluable information on the latest trends, news, and research from various experts who guide the global pork industry. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of SmartGuard and PigFlow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com. Popular Pig is also made possible by Johnsonville Foods, Swine Robotics, SwineWeb.com, and Innovative Heating, the manufacturers of Hoghearth. Welcome to the Popular Pig Podcast. My name is Matthew Rhoda, your host for today's episode. Today, we're going to be talking about the Nyman Ranch Way with Mr. Paul Willis. Thanks for joining us today, Paul. Thank you, Matt. I'm glad to be here today. And uh... before we get started, you are a fellow Hawkeye. So go Hawks. Uh, America needs farmers through and through and excited to hear your story today. Uh, well, I grew up in Thornton, Iowa, and I went to the University of Iowa after I got, I got out of Thornton High School. And um, when I when I uh, left the University of Iowa, I joined the Peace Corps and I worked uh, for the Ministry of Agriculture in Nigeria, northern Niger- Nigeria, for three years. And uh, I guess that was a, 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 an important introduction for me because I uh, I was uh, I grew up uh, on a typical Iowa farm. I guess we we had uh, uh, corn and soybeans and oats, and we raised a few outdoor pigs and so on at the time. Uh, but but then I was working in uh, sub-Saharan Africa, and we were the main crops were peanuts and cotton and grain sorghum or or uh, what they call Guinea corn and and. Uh, uh, Fulanis were nomadic cattle people. In, in other words, I, I got to see a lot of different types of agriculture. And uh, anyway, I returned, uh, came back to the States, and uh, I was working in Minneapolis for a while. And and then this point came up where I needed to, uh, needed some extra help on the farm in Iowa, uh, the, uh, the family. And I, I I was able to come down, come to Iowa. I was I was intentional, intentioned on just being here for a couple of months in the fall harvest. And um, my neighbor uh, came over and said, I, I've got a, a pig with a, a sow with five pigs. If you buy this sow, I'll just give you these pigs. And I thought, well, this is a good idea. And uh, that's a good deal. Suddenly, uh, I was kind of in the pig business in, in a very small way. Anyway, uh, I, I, I kind of enjoyed that. I'd grown up raising outdoor pigs. And, and this was in the mid to late 70s. At that time, there was a lot of outdoor hog equipment still around. It was uh, You could buy it for almost nothing. And uh, I, I got a hold of some other gilts. Pretty soon, I had 10 sows gilts. And within uh, two or three years, I, I had a uh, hundred sows, and eventually got up to the point where I had uh, uh, two to three hundred sows. And I, 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 I was uh, doing this hog operation all in the in the pasture, basically spring and fall, and uh, using old farm buildings and this and that. But but anyway, things were going along well. I was uh, actually I was making some money doing this. And uh, as uh, as the 
the industrial model started moving in on us in Iowa. There was also, a, a, I'm sure you remember, the other white meat. Uh, yep. the, the type of pig that was being raised was being changed. It was a, a leaner uh, hog raised indoors in uh, confinement. And uh, I, at that time, was using uh, farmer's hybrid genetics, which were uh, really kind of designed for outdoor production. They had intermuscular fat, and they thrived outdoors, and, and they'd been a, a, a main source of uh, breeding stock for a lot of small farmers that raised outdoor pigs. And so uh, I, I went along, and things were going pretty well, and then I, find my, I found myself uh, kind of starting to be squeezed out of the market. They didn't want these uh, outdoor pigs. They were too fat and so on. And, and, and uh, the, Packers, the Packers probably started to change their preferences, didn't they? They were, they, were giving a, they were actually giving me a lesser price. And it was more difficult to, you know, find places that would, uh, would uh, buy your pigs. But anyway, uh, someplace in here, I had, I had been on the West Coast and I saw um, uh, a woman buy an organic chicken and pay three times the price. And I was I was intrigued, and I I asked her why, you know, what was the appeal? And she said, "Well, it tastes better. Plus, I like the way it's raised." I mean, I'm thinking, you know what? I've got pigs that fit this same paradigm, I guess, if you will. Maybe there is a market for outdoor raised, free range uh, pigs. Even the, even the term free range pigs. When you hear, you know, a, a term like that for the first time, it just sounds odd, if you will. Um, but but I, anyway, I think we actually kind of coined that phrase, uh, which is uh, used all the time now. But anyway, I, I started looking around, uh, and it took me a while, but eventually, and this was through one of my Peace Corps contacts, somebody that was raising lamb in, in the West Coast in California, um, I visited uh, Jeannie McCormick and her husband Al, and they uh, they told me about this guy Bill Nyman that was helping market their their lamb to uh, high end restaurants in the San Francisco area. And uh, anyway, I wanted to meet. The next day we met. Uh, I told Bill what I was doing, and and he um, he said, uh, "Well, send me uh, send me some pork." And I was excited. This was the first person that really understood what what I was interested in doing was direct marketing. Um, uh, uh, you know, my my hogs, and and not only that, but for uh, for a uh, a premium price. Anyway, we worked out the details, and I found a a packing plant, Supreme Pack, in Northwest Iowa that were willing to do the, uh, the custom processing and they were helpful and figuring out how does it happen? What day does it, you know, have to be there because originally Bill said, well, it has to be here five 30 Monday morning. And, you know, <laughs> well, I'd sold a lot of pigs and once they left my farm, I had no idea where anything went. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we figured out the timetable when they had to be at Supreme, huh? the chilling, the, the cutting to primal cuts, and when they had to be on a truck 
and when they would arrive in uh, San Francisco at 5.30 Monday morning. And we, we did this with 30 head in March, or uh, yeah, February of 1995. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> so the product was sent around to some of Bill Nyman's customers, uh, like uh, Alice Waters and restaurants that were uh, were were well known, and uh, uh, w- w- really really appreciated what we were doing and the, the uh, quality of the product. So that was the beginning. Uh, uh, Bill had agreed to pay me a, a price, which was at the kind of the top end of the price I'd ever received for hogs. No problem. Uh, and the following two weeks, we needed 34 head and it, it gradually increased and, and then got to the point where I could see that I was going to have some holes in my supply. Maybe I'd have to look around for some other farmers that would fit the same kind of, uh, production criteria, which was no, no, uh, farrowing crates, no, liquid manure systems, no confinement of any kind, bedding, pasture raised, uh, this kind of thing. And um, so that was the beginning of it. And uh, little by little, the demand grew. Uh, It it was probably within the second year or so that I started looking for other farmers. And eventually um, connected with the Animal Welfare Institute and Diane Halverson, who was working for them, and that at that time we wrote the standards, pig husbandry standards for pasture-raised outdoor production, and they're they're actually uh, it's very close to what's being used today for uh, that's cool animal welfare certification for this type of production. So honestly, my goal was to distance myself as far as possible from conventional production. If I was going to have something, uh, if, if it was a niche market, it had to be unique. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so that was, that was my thinking, uh, down the road. We, we eventually went to no antibiotics ever by, by about year 2000. Um, we could see the consumer even at that time was demanding this. And, uh, by that time we had maybe 30 farmers or something like this. Uh, maybe more, but uh, there was there was some resistance because antibiotics, as you probably recall, was very much ingrained to all hog production of any kind. It wasn't mm-hmm. a matter like starter feed. You had to special yeah. order big starter feed if you wanted it without antibiotics. <laughs> you know, and it cost more. So. That was the situation we were in, but that was another way of differentiating what we were doing. So, and then, yeah. So basically, you went from a position where you were getting paid way less for this pig, and then within a year, you were able to spin it around making, what, two, three times more per pig? Yeah, absolutely. That's just a, I mean, that's problem solving, right? Like, that's, that, that couldn't have been easy. Uh, well, when, um, when Bill asked me, what do you want for your pigs? Uh, I mean, how many times had I ever sold pigs before where a hog buyer ever asked me what I wanted for my <laughs> pigs? <laughs> Never, right? Yeah. 
it was really you call up a buyer and ask what what they'll give you so you became um you be, you became a seller uh you, you know you had something you could put you could put a value on your 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 time and labor and facilities and so on and and uh so basically i was getting the highest price and that was my thought at the process we're doing something unique and special we have to always protect our farmers in the future as far as price is concerned and make sure that they don't go through those catastrophic uh, downturns in the market. So just to jump ahead, in 1998, uh, hog prices went down to $0.08 cents a pound live, and uh, we were paying 43 and a half at that time. Oof through that whole period of time and that we we couldn't buy everybody's pigs but we bought as many as possible of the farmers that had, that were meeting our criteria and we, we really saved people from going broke um you can imagine uh, if you've got all yeah. your money tied up in your hog herd and you're getting twenty dollars ahead it drains your economy your bank account quickly and that's a big difference, eight cents to what you said, forty-three. Yeah, forty-three and a half. That I mean, that is a there's a large multiple of difference to to be able to take advantage of that when prices were low. And so that's that's part of what Nyman Ranch is today. We have a a price protection program, and it's based on you know, for example, now the price of grain and uh, feed is going up, so we're we're raising our price accordingly. Okay. That's that's pretty neat. And is that basically just as as inputs rise or as the value falls, like that's just going to be passed down to the consumer? Or how do you guys guarantee well, that price? Uh, yeah, we're, it's going to have to be passed down the con- to the consumer, and and, sure. and the commodity market is going to have to do the same thing because hog prices, uh, pork has gone up as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's if if that wasn't the case, the resistance would be a little more, but. You know, again, uh, we we're really doing something different here. It is unique, uh, you know, and we try to emphasize the fact that that uh, this is a different product. Like yeah. So by- what what do your producers within the Nyman Ranch family recognize as probably the greatest benefit? Uh, well, it, it's the fact that we have this price support. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and uh, uh, even last year, uh, we were paying almost a hundred percent premium over commodity price, and I mean it was a it, it was very significant. Uh, that's that's of course one. We also uh, don't discriminate against small farmers, so we have people. We have a lot of Amish farmers that that don't raise a lot of numbers, but but we're willing to work with smaller farmers. And that's where a lot of growth comes to. Somebody starts out uh, small, and I'm talking about maybe less than 100 pigs per year. Mm-hmm. And, and they can grow into their, you know, uh, uh, they can grow their own business on their own farm as they mature. And uh, if they want to. So what do you think the rest of the industry can learn from what you guys have been able to to do with Nyman Ranch? What what do you think some some things are that you can pull from your experience that might translate to the industry as a whole? 
we look into the future, there's a lot of things coming. Prop 12, open crate farrowing. There's just a lot of change happening. And curious what your take on that might be. Uh, well, uh, I mean, uh, I, I guess as I said, we're we're a different we're a different business, really. Yep. So the, the industry industry that part of the business, I mean, it is something else. I don't know if they can ever be Nyman Ranch. They, I mean, they could only be that if they if they really change a lot of the things that are done. And that's pretty well ingrained, that system here. And I don't really see that happening. But, you know. For sure. No, that'd be a very difficult change to make. I, I guess when you look at the consumer, because a lot of what you were able to do was was provide something to the consumer that they were looking for. Um, how do you think the industry as a whole provides more value and or differentiation to a consumer? Do you, have you guys been looking into that and... I know that's been a topic is how do we become more like beef and is that even possible? Yeah, whether it's possible, I don't know, but but uh, uh, the demand of the consumer in general and in, in food, in the food chain is, is, is clean raised food, whether it's a green bean or whatever it is, people want, want food that's, uh, that's raised without pesticides, uh, uh, has a, a certain standard of animal welfare, all of these attributes, people are looking for that and they're interested in, 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 in finding those products and willing to pay for it. And maybe the, the answer is maybe, maybe uh, uh, eating less volume, but, but higher quality. Gotcha. So when you were building this, what was the, your toughest challenge what is the thing you look back on and you say well that was probably the hardest thing i had to get through uh the the, the hardest thing in the beginning was to have a a, a a dependable even supply chain throughout the year but even even myself in the beginning i had a lot of pigs in the spring and the fall because that's the kind of system i had and and to fill in the blanks to get those pigs born in the middle of january in the upper Midwest, <laughs> you know, in our kind of system was, a, was quite a challenge and, and, you know, or, or in the middle of the heat of the summer. So that what we call the off season, so to speak. So balancing out that supply chain was, uh, I, I lost a lot of sleep over that in the, in the early days when I was, when I was doing every, every aspect of the, of the Nyman Ranch Pork Company. And, and is balancing out something that you had to do by figuring out different methods of raising pigs throughout the year to, uh, to interact with the seasons, or is that where you brought on additional farmers to kind of fill those holes? Well, we, we, we were bringing on additional farmers, uh, but then, or, or to incentivize uh, farmers uh, through uh, maybe uh, uh, additional bonuses or additional price for those uh, animals that were filled in those seasons that were, were more difficult. Um, you know, and it's, it costs more to raise a pig born in the middle of January than it does one in, uh, in May 1st. You Is that because eat. of all the, the, the straw or hay and, and everything so else heating, you need? You might have to involved. heat a building and yeah, supplemental heat and things like this. Gotcha. 
So then with Nyman Ranch, where is Nyman Ranch going from this point forward? What's kind of the next thing that you guys are doing? Is it just growth? Is it expansion of types of products or where, where's Nyman Ranch? Well, we, uh, I, I can, I can kind of tell you by telling you kind of where we've been initially, we were supplying restaurants in the San Francisco area. That was, mm-hmm. that was the beginning. Um, Later on, we uh, I saw several owners of Nyman Ranch as we progressed through the the, the evolution of a business, if you will. Um, but anyway, we um, we started branching out into some areas of the uh, different areas of the country, and then the other thing was in getting into the re- retail business. Probably okay. one of our main customers in the beginning was Whole Foods Market. And that was a big breakthrough. Uh, I remember the time uh, we were we were processing maybe three hundred pigs per week, and this, this brings another issue: carcass utilization. Oh yeah, uh, a lot of people that try to direct market and get into this uh, find this uh, a very difficult obstacle because. The, you know, the pig is big enough and it comes with all kinds of different parts. And one of the, at least in the beginning, one of the easiest things to sell to a grocery store was the pork chop or the loin. So what do you do with, the, you know, the shoulder, the, you know, the, the, the leg and, and the belly and so on? You have to figure out, you know, processed products and various things like that. Anyway, we went from... Uh, buying 300 pigs and we decided to go with whole foods and we jumped to 800 the following week and that was a huge a big jump huge jump we had the supply you know so that wasn't the problem and it was great for farmers because we were able to buy a lot more pigs but we had a lot of end meats we had a lot of shoulders and a lot of all these other parts you know because whole foods was primarily a a loin customer. Anyway, those were the the challenges. It wasn't long after that that we had a connection with Chipotle Mexican Grill, one of our first uh, 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 you might call fast casual type of chain dining areas that were um, uh, they were looking for something with that was raised without antibiotics and. And uh, the and with the with the protocol that we had in the animal welfare part of it, so that was helpful too because we then we added a a customer that was buying a lot of the uh, a lot of the uh, shoulder meat. So I don't know, little by little, it was always a challenge. You always long or short on various things, and um, it, it's been it's very it's been interesting and challenging and. And, but I, I knew I couldn't, Matthew, I knew I couldn't do all of these things myself. And that was one of the things that I guess I would uh, say that people that try to get into these type of businesses where you're doing this, realize what you can do best and what you're going to need help with. And I needed a, well, to identify the market, I needed a place where there was a food culture Iowa wasn't that place. Nope. Nothing against Iowa, but but 
the San Francisco area was uh, at that time, even in even in uh, in the nineties. Uh, people were thinking about how their food was grown and where it was from and whether it was fresh and all these things. Yeah, there was a lot of variety too, a lot of different types of stuff, I'm guessing, compared to, yeah. you know, Meat and Potatoes, very, Iowa from the 90s. Very big uh, restaurant scene, you know. Yeah, because every restaurant, with the amount of competition that exists in San Francisco amongst restaurants and food, I'm assuming that they're all trying to come up with the next thing that they can market to the their consumers and there just probably wasn't near as much competition in Iowa amongst restaurants to, no, to drive change. There, 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 it hadn't really uh, where your food came from and those kind of things weren't weren't questions being asked uh, at that time in all parts of the country. So, so uh, uh, expanding after that, uh, we the next step was finding more distributors that were going to service uh, food service, you know, for restaurants and so on in other parts of the country. So we've come to the uh, uh, stage where we have distribution in almost all parts of the country. So you can find Nyman Ranch almost anywhere. That's went, impressive. That's cool. I went, I went fishing in uh, Sitka, Alaska, and I went in the grocery store. There's Nyman Ranch. <laughs> I was, so, I was more excited about that than salmon fishing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's got to be extremely rewarding to be able to go anywhere and, and see that you have made an impact and that impact is spread throughout every corner of this country. How did surrounding yourself with the right people help you accomplish, accomplish that? Well, uh, partnering with the right people was, I mean, that, that was really key. Uh, we were uh, we were of a sim similar mindset. We understood what it what it was we were about, what we wanted to do. And I'm talking about Bill Nyman and the other people that were were working with him. And then as we've we've progressed through uh, 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 other people, and 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 he, uh, today it's very much in our culture is still very much ingrained around these same pr principles. And we're owned by Purdue at this point. Yep. So, and, and uh, they've been a wonderful partner, allowing us to step up and grow and do some things in that respect, but allowing Nyman Ranch to remain independent and maintain the integrity of what we were about in the first place. That's really cool that they were able to, that you guys have been able to maintain that. And then that Purdue was, was so um, collaborative in that. Yeah. What's a, what's a golden nugget you might share with, uh, the audience or a golden chop word of advice that you've gathered in your life. Well, I already said the man, the, the one that kind of comes to mind and that is that you can't do everything yourself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for example, you know, j just this carcass utilization, our product was going to the, you know, a little meat plant in San Francisco, but they had the experience and the know-how to, to find markets for that, all that product. I would have been hopelessly lost on that on that end of it. I mean, I just couldn't have done it, you yeah. know. So that's, uh, I, I I think that's one important things to remember: find good partners and you know people you can work work well together with. No, that's great, and and, and we really appreciate you hopping on the Popular Pig Podcast to share your story. It, it is it is different. It is exciting. It is 
is impressive. And uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people on here who are, who are grateful that you have taken the time to share that with everybody. And I'm sure there's thousands more that are grateful that you did take that chance. You took that leap and, and you provided something that, that people have really wanted. So thank you so much for your time. Okay. Can I add something here? For sure. Okay. Well, first of all, one thing is right from the beginning, the eating quality has been very important. Uh, you can do all of these things. And if the, if the pork wasn't tender and juicy, very tasty and everything, it wouldn't work. Uh, uh, the other thing is we've, we've continued to recruit farmers. We need more farmers all the time. And this is an opportunity and we have lots of incentives and, and um, uh, uh, for new people coming into the business, even even uh, grants and things like that to get starting with breeding stock and this kind of thing. So um, anyway, that's in in supporting our farmers and and uh, and uh, being true partners with our farmers has been it, it's important. We really have a family uh, feel a family of people involved in all the way from one end to the other, from the customers down to the, to the farmers. And that's been cool to see too. So it sounds like if anybody's out there listening and you'd like to figure out how you can become involved as either a consumer or a distributor or as a producer, you need to reach out to the Nyman Ranch and learn more. Well, thank you, Paul, for your time today. Thank you, Matthew. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Popular Pig. We aspire to learn and grow together through the experience and wisdom shared by our esteemed guests. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends and colleagues within the swine industry. For more information, please go to popularpig.com to receive updates when new episodes are available. Popular Pig is brought to you by SwineTech, the award-winning creators of Smart Garden Pig Flow. To learn how PigFlow can help you streamline your workforce and reduce piglet and sow deaths, visit swinetechnologies.com.